Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best founders and investors to help you scale your business from 1 million to 1 trillion. Today's guest is a very special one. Uh, his name is Ben, uh, very well known in the Brazilian ecosystem and the Latin ecosystem, and uh, is now uh, with Camino and uh, is the founder of, uh, of Camino. Uh, ben, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Likewise, and, uh, and full disclosure, we, we had also your co-founder in, in the past episode, episode 2000, 2000 not, not yet, 248, that was released on the 20th of October of 22. And, uh, and uh, we really recommend you to, to also go listen to, to that episode. And, and today it's all about Ben. Ben has an, an amazing um, track record in, in the ecosystem, as I said before. Um, ben, why, why don't you introduce yourself uh, much better than, than myself and, and uh, so the audience can get to know more about you? Okay, awesome. Um, so I'm actually originally from the United States uh, and then worked out of school in, in corporate finance, uh, first in, in the US and then uh, for a time in Brazil and then a few years in, in Europe. I ended up doing an MBA uh, at Wharton and then coming down to Brazil full time way back in, in 2007, uh, initially with McKinsey and then running Groupon uh, down here during the explosion in the daily deal space. And that was really my first you know, experience working in kind of this very dynamic startup environment uh, in Brazil. Um, so you know, incredible experience, very intense. <laughs> we were doing like nice. the rocket style uh, <laughs> growth and execution. <laughs> um, and then uh, in, in 2012, after the IPO of, of Groupon, I decided to leave to start uh, something new from scratch and founded Gia Bolso uh, with a, a friend uh, who I'd met at McKinsey, uh, Chavo. And so uh, at the time it was, you know, I think e-commerce was starting to be a, a theme uh, that was popular in Brazil and getting funding. Uh, finances was definitely not. Um, so we had a lot of uh, skepticism around, you know, even the thesis. And we had to explain, you know, what like financial fin technology in quotes, FinTech, <laughs> right. we knew the, the term, uh, obviously that's changed a lot. Um, and so over almost uh, 10 years, we basically, built a, the largest personal finance uh, app in, in the country. So we had about uh, 6 million total users. Uh, we built wow. what is now referred to as open banking. <laughs> At the time, it was uh, there was a lot of uh, questions and, and some resistance from some of the big banks. But essentially, we, we allowed users to aggregate their, their banking data, do their financial management, and then get access to better financial products. Um, we sold to PicPay, uh, which is a very large uh, digital wallet, digital bank, uh, last year. And then I decided to found Camino together with two friends uh, who I actually worked with at Groupon. Uh, so way back in the day, uh, they both went on to be you know, serial entrepreneurs as well. Uh, so we got back together and you know, really trying with Camino, trying to solve a lot of the problems that we faced as entrepreneurs in fast-growing companies, um, particularly on the financial uh, management and operations side. And so creating... Uh, with Camino kind of a hub to help, you know, early stage companies get started faster and better and then, you know, nice. do the initial growth, but then also for uh, larger, you know, more scaled uh, companies who are growing quickly, help them to have their financial operations, their payments, mm -hmm. all of their, their financial flows uh, working much more smoothly through the Camino platform. 
Sounds sounds an amazing, and and I can uh, imagine what what was the ecosystem at the time when you were able to IPO Groupon and and started uh, give also in a in a space that as you were saying there was no no fintech uh, the category was not st- was not known as as fintech let's say which today it's completely obvious but at the time uh, it was not so. How, how is it being uh, being in a in a startup in in such a different uh, period of time or such in different maturity stages of the um, of the ecosystem? Yeah, it was it was interesting because back you know when we started in 2012, uh, everyone cited the bank's branch network as being their you know defining advantage, and so they said unless you have you know tens of thousands of, of bank branches around the country, you really can't compete in terms of distribution. Um, so obviously that's changed a lot <laughs> a liability now um, and, and so I think that's one of the biggest shifts that we've seen is, is really you know even when we uh, launched our first um, you know beta product with Gibble so it was still a, a web-based tool um, because you know even apps were not obvious yet in Brazil and then when we launched in 2014 uh, our, our iPhone app we became the number one uh, app with, with Gibble so the number one app in the entire app store so very clearly, <laughs> we became an app company and we're like, okay, this is, you know, is, there, is it a viable distribution model? And so I think that was really the tipping point of, you know, once consumers could get access to products via uh, their phones and, and via apps, uh, I think that was uh, one thing that we saw as a, as a huge kind of, you know, tailwind for fintechs. And then also the central bank as in Brazil is, is now, you know, incredible. It's considered one of the top central banks in the world. So they've uh, went from being kind of very much more focused on uh, overall financial stability and you know, mm-hmm. ensuring that the big banks, you know, were stable uh, to actually supporting innovation, supporting uh, competition, uh, creating PICS, so the instant payment system, uh, regulating open banking. So it's been, you know, also incredible to see the regulators, the shift there and how much they've been supporting the, the startup and the fintech uh, ecosystem. So I think those are, are two big things. Um, and the last thing I would, I would say, is it was funny, I, I ran into a friend uh, at Money 2020 in Las Vegas, but mm-hmm. um, back in 2012, 2013, uh, we had what was called a startup mansion. And so it was, you know, this house which had about 10 different startups and it was just kind of one friend would for another, uh, all very, very early stage. So kind of pre-seed and, and seed startups. Um, but within, you know, this kind of startup mansion, we actually would say, okay, you know, who's a decent lawyer? You know, how do I get a bank account open? You know, we would do a lot of these like very basic, um, you know, kind of ask for help because it was just impossible to, to do anything. Right. Um, and that was very powerful as, you know, kind of this very, you know, small kind of, you know, non-scalable, but, uh, but, but actual experience, which helped us to get started and, and to grow, you know, getting references from, from other founders. Um, and, and, you know, 10 years later, there's still a lot of those same challenges happening in the ecosystem of right. just getting set up, getting operating. And so, you know, with Camino, we're kind of trying to create a scaled version of that. Um, yep. You know, that experience that we had of, of having kind of people in a similar situation who understand exactly what you're going through and, and what type of, you know, service providers or solutions you might need. Yeah. And and I'm sure that uh, a lot of people in the audience or should be asking themselves, uh, why did you decide to move to Brazil and and uh, all the impact that you had in, in the ecosystem started with McKinsey, moving to Groupon, then Guia Bolso, now uh, Camino. So why such a passion for, for Brazil and, and the Latin market? Yeah, um, I, I initially was studying Spanish. I, I went to study abroad in Chile for, for a year and during college. And so I kind of thought that 
you know, somehow my path would, would go through LATAM. Um, but Brazil really wasn't on my radar very much at the time because mm -hmm. of the different language and, and everything else. And uh, I came back, you know, way, way down here, uh, way back in the day and backpacking around and loved Brazil and, you know, really kind of connected with the culture and, and decided to learn Portuguese. Uh, and because of that, I actually got hired for my first job in this corporate finance role. Um, since I spoke Spanish and Portuguese, and I ended up you know, being able to come down and, and help open the office uh, here in Brazil. Uh, so also, I found that working in, in Brazil was an incredible experience. Uh, obviously, you know, there's pros and cons to everything, but I like, you know, the generally more social and, uh, you know, friendlier style. And then, um, you know, working at McKinsey, uh, you know, I, I kind of saw the real professional services here, which, you know, is often kind of world class. Um, and, and I actually ended up, after McKinsey, I took a, a leave of absence and went to live for three months in Rocinha, uh, the largest favela in Rio. Um, so I did a, a restructuring project of an NGO there, just, you know, as a volunteer living in the middle Amazing. of the, the, the hillside. <laughs> um, so I had a very you know, different experience from McKinsey, but also, you know, incredible eye-opening. Um, and then, you know, once I do it, started, you know, got into the startup scene, what I found is that, you know, you can solve, try to solve much bigger problems in, in you know, emerging mm -hmm. markets in general and Brazil in specific. Um, so go after, you know, these kind of much more aspirational, large problems have this massive impact on the ecosystem. Um, which I think in the U.S., you know, oftentimes is much harder to do. You often are, you know, going for like a very niche or nice to have solution rather than, you know, basic right. kind of, um, you know, solving these base problems. So, you know, fintech, health tech, ed tech, you know, all right. of these in Brazil often are like very much just like basic, you know, kind of platform layers as opposed to like very right. you know, point solutions. And so I think you know, for me, that's super exciting to see the impact that you can have as a founder here. Right. And, uh, and there is something that you are also very passionate about, which is uh, helping underrepresented uh, founders and making the ecosystem a little bit more diverse. We still see uh, a lot of funding coming to the usual suspects. Again, we, we don't want to discriminate also the ones who go to, to the Ivy League uh, schools and, and so on. But uh, if we can have um, the representation of uh, all parts of, of society and of course gender is improving uh, but still a, a long way to go and, and uh, different races etc um what, what is your point on that and uh, what what are your thoughts about that um yeah I, I think you know one thing nowadays everyone talks about diversity and and, and it's kind of like a required you know buzzword for for most companies <laughs> but um, I, I think in practice, you know, talking with women founders, for example, I still hear stories about, you know, kind of this sexist, sexist comments or questions, you know, from, from some VCs. And so I think, you know, it's still clearly not a level playing field. And so, you know, I'm right. putting in you know, more of my focus around how can I help, you know, great women for founders or, or diverse founders uh, to kind of be on a more level playing field and, and focus on also creating on the other side, kind of a network of, of VCs who I know you know, are open to this and support this uh, so that, you know, they can actually have a real, a real shot. And, um, you know, kind of one of the things that was interesting is that, you know, a number of the women uh, founders who I have angel invested in uh, were actually ex Bolso. And so, you know, the people who I worked with and were, you know, product right. managers and things like this went out and, and created companies. Uh, and that's super cool to see, you know, so people I know very well who kind of had the courage and, and went out and did it. And that was the starting point. And now, you know, increasingly I get you know, other women founders, you know, referred to me to try to help them, you know, as I'm starting their, their fundraising journey in particular. Exactly. So I think, you know, you, you need to make an initial effort and then you get some critical mass and, 
Um, you know, I think it's actually an advantage as you know an angel investor, as a VC, if you uh, can can get also this great deal flow um, coming to you. Exactly. Um, you know, it's actually you know a business opportunity as well as a social impact opportunity. Especially as an angel investor, because you you don't have kind of a, a team to to work for you on on searching for for that deal flow. It's it needs to be all almost inbound, uh, and then you need to be able to also have a not only the quantity but also the quality of the of the, or even more important the, the quality of the deal flow and and i believe that especially for for someone like you that you are super busy with your own venture uh now at the same time trying to help the ecosystem uh, it it might hurt you sometimes it might be difficult that you'd like to do much more than than what you actually do and you are doing so much compared to the average uh, person or the average founder uh, as you are uh, in your at least your in your second uh, in your third uh, scaling up right with 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 groupon but um, but i assume it's it's not an easy task uh, to to be able to support as an angel support as a peer in the ecosystem and still build a company again from scratch with with camino uh, yeah definitely not uh... One thing I would say, you know, I found I'm, I'm very active as an Endeavor entrepreneur, Endeavor mentor. And so uh, via, you know, uh, Endeavor, I actually am able to have kind of a more scaled impact. And so doing, you know, sessions for 12 founders, 20 founders, you know, some of that 50 founders uh, is, a, is a way to have a more scalable uh, impact. Yeah. And then also one of the things I was seeing doing, uh, you know, mentor mentoring sessions for Endeavor. So I was getting often the same questions. So like, okay. You know, now I have a term sheet. My VC wants me to set up a company and, you know, holding company in Cayman. <laughs> what do I do? Right. Or, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm having this money finally, and now I'm trying to spend it, and I'm having all this friction. Like, what do I do? Um, so that was actually one of the, the motivations for me to, you know, help create Camino was, you know, how can I solve this in a more scalable way rather than in one-on-one conversations? And so I think that that has been interesting is, you know, how do you kind of start to build up? You know, the scalable uh, ways to to help people, um, and yeah. you know, hopefully, if community keeps growing, we'll keep you know having a, a wider and wider impact. And, and you know, we also have that similar viewpoint of you know it shouldn't be because you have to be a repeat founder or you have to be you know an Ivy League uh, MBA to to be able to figure out how to get the basic you know financial and right. corporate operations set up. It should be something which is you know fairly straightforward, which you can do uh, confidently while you actually focus on the business and the problems that you're trying to solve. Exactly. Yeah, because sometimes you, I like to say that sometimes the mission comes to you, right? You 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 don't uh, kind of go outside and you you search for a mission. Uh, a lot of times something happens to you and you want to change uh, that thing that happened to you, and then you start realizing that it was not only you who faced that problem, and you start seeing the scale of the problem and the impact that you can have solving the problem, not only for yourself, but for uh, everyone that is facing the problem or avoiding anyone else out there to, to face the same problem that you, that you face it. And that's become, that becomes the motivation. And then it's, it's about building a community, building a tribe to help you solve that problem because nobody is able to solve a problem uh, alone. And that, that's the power of the community and the power of network to, to solve problems that matter, right? And that can have an impact. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, we see that clearly until you've kind of gone through it, you don't, you know, kind of understand the, the difficulty or, you know, the, the challenge and, and the impact that it can have. And so uh, I definitely think it helps to, to be in that situation first and, 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 you know, even help other people understand what they're going to go through in the future and therefore, you know, kind of why they, should look for it for these type of solutions. 
we even found that many of the VCs didn't know what they were asking the founders to do when they required them to set up, you know, a structure and came in and all this stuff. And so you're educating the right. VCs as well about what the founders are going through. And, and this makes sense because after 10 years of venture capital, even for founders, um, sometimes even we, we can see it in simple stuff like, like the OKRs, or there are people that never worked with OKRs. They don't know how to set up an objective or a key result or a, an initiative. And, and for the ones that have been working with that for 10 years, it's, it might sound simple, but it's not simple for the, for the ones who are doing that for the first time. So, same with incorporation, with creating the legal company. Uh, what is a safe? What are the conditions of a safe? Uh, so what are the terms that I should do? Uh, how much dilution I, I should uh, accept? So for, 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 for founders who, who did it, or, or for, especially for investors who are, who are seeing this all the time, uh, it's it's almost nuts, right? So it's it's so simple how people can't understand. And I think that that's also the difference between the average teachers and the world class teachers. They can emphasize and put themselves in the shoes of of the of the learners uh, and help them uh, get there, right? For sure. And you know, I had worked uh, previously in, in corporate finance, but I got into startups, and you know, all the you know, the terminology is different, you know, term sheet, what's the term sheet, you know, what are the clauses here? So I had to, you know, also learn this, even though I had the finance background, it didn't prepare me you know, for, for startup finances necessarily. Um, yeah. And so I think, you know, that's already a challenge. And then also, you know, coming out of you know, McKinsey, so you're in this management consulting environment, and then you go to a startup like, you know, Groupon <laughs> with, with the rocket guys, and it's like, okay, forget PowerPoint, forget analysis, like just go out and do it. And so it's a completely different mindset. Um, so I think even people who have a good business background previously, you know, aren't necessarily ready for, you know, kind of the speed and, and the, the constant testing and adjustments that you see in, in startups. And so it is helpful to, to talk and empathize with people that have gone through this before. <laughs> and learning all of this while you are always in, 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 a, in a fine line between life and death uh, as a startup, uh, not to talk about the, the scaling up stage. But still, there are some dangers there to to run out of cash or to or or, or to not be able to grow as quickly as possible and become more a kind of a zombie company and trying to find the way of going through that growth plateau and 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 grow again. And again, it's it happens to every single company, even the most successful. I would say even in the the the, the super outliers, they all have faced a serious crisis along the way. <laughs> and, it, and it's you know just crazy how much the ecosystem has, has changed because back you know 10 years ago when we were starting give also there were so few seed investors and the money you know which was actually invested was so low so you know now with Camino we did a pre-seed round you know with a powerpoint before we launched and it was almost the same size and the same valuation as our series b round for give also back in the day um, yeah, so the things have changed so much and and you know to your point about you know, you're worrying about runway uh, the, what's that? Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. sorry, conclude, conclude. No, I was just gonna say you know, you you were able to raise so much less money that you just already started usually with less runway, and so we were always you know kind of worried. Okay, we only have six months of runway, we have four months of runway, and right. you know we we were going through this like very tense you know periods with with my my co-founder and I, Thiago at uh, at Bolso. and then you know at some point as we grew and you got much larger, the, the employees said, okay, we we want more visibility into the finances and everything else as we announced, okay, you know, great news guys, we have 14 months of runway. So this is like, you know, a lot, right? <laughs> and they, they were all like, wait, only 14 months. Oh my God, are we going to go bankrupt? Like I'm scared. <laughs> so we realized like, 
you know, too much sharing uh, when when the ecosystem is not ready is uh, is also sometimes not good. But uh, you know, it's just you know, it's all your perspective, right? So founders are always you know thinking about the runway, and you get down to six months at some point, and and you're 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 worried. And so when you have you know later fourteen months, it seems great. <laughs> Um, you know, I think that changed obviously in 2020, 2021, you know, with the round sizes and, and, you know, people being able to raise more quickly, but, you know, 2022 and, and onward, I think we're going to see a return to, you know, a little bit more kind of discipline and, and, you know, focus on, on burn and on, on runway. Yeah. I was just asking for you to, to share a little bit what, what was the side of, of, of the round and who is backing Camino and so on. So people just can relate to what you were saying. Uh, awesome. Yeah, so we, we raised $6.1 million with led by Inspired, which is a, a mostly fintech focused fund out of New York. And I've actually known uh, the founder there for, for a long time. She she founded LearnVest back in the day and was an early benchmark for Gibble. So, so we had <laughs> talked to her and all his, you know, her, her company and now she has this uh, VC. So, um, you know, great. She's an ex-fintech operator. So comes with that mentality. And then um, we also raised from a whole host of other funds, uh, I think eight other uh, funds from you know, QED, Flourish, GFC, Pekas, a whole host of, of folks there that are kind of early stage uh, VCs that you know, not, are now backing many of the companies which become customers of, of Camino. So it's, uh, it's a great fit in terms of a, you know, a exactly. customer acquisition channel. Um, and we also brought in, I think, 25 uh, angel investors, most of them you know, unicorn founders. And so we have a well great, done. you know, backing from from great great founders that have been through this, and now are high volume angel investors and uh, you know mentors and things. And so it's a way of you know kind of building out the the community as quickly as possible. Right. And were you very thoughtful about kind of building the process of uh, of fundraising, or uh, it just came that people were start seeing that this was a huge opportunity, and and they start kind of reaching out to you, or uh, any any tips there on how to how to even for uh, second time founders who want to kind of build uh, a second startup and want to do the the pre-seed fundraising process a little bit more smoothly and more strategic. Uh, any any advice from your experience on, on fundraising for Camino? Um, yeah, I, I think you know the the ecosystem had changed dramatically. So there were you know a dozen funds I'd never even heard of that yeah. were you know potential investors, and so I think you know you, you have a lot more uh, you know, money to choose from. Uh, you know, for first time founders and for second time founders, really, I think the main thing is preparation of, of the story and the pitch and making sure that, right. you know, you've, you've really thought, thought through this and, and tested this and seen where there might be holes or where you need to mm -hmm. drill in a little bit more. Um, so, you know, typically I always uh, test with other entrepreneurs. And so we um, actually, our, our first pitch was to uh, Thiago, my, my ex-co-founder from Yaboso, and then we pitched to Sergio Furio, the founder of Credit Sauce. Um, and those were, you know, I, I joke kind of the two hardest pitches, right? Because we were less, you know, ready and they're, they're pretty sharp guys and, and you know, they pushed right. hard because they know us well. And, uh, and then by the time we got to, you know, pitching to VCs, it was much easier because we were really ready with the pitch, ready with, you know, kind of the well follow-up questions and, and everything. So I think that is, is huge regardless of uh, first time or second time founder. Um, for second time founders, I think, you know, because there generally is, you know, more demands to back you. Uh, the key is choosing kind of who do you want to back you. So not just taking the money, but, you know, who do you want to be, you know, starting on this journey with you and, and who's going to be there, you know, potentially for 10 years. And so being, you know, very selective um, there. I think first-time founders have a little bit less, um, you know, kind of choice in the beginning, but once you get a term sheet, obviously 
you know, then you can really go for kind of your, your dream uh, lead investor. Right. And, and before moving more into your angel investor uh, at, um, would you like to, to just do some highlights about kind of the, the vision of Camino? Uh, what are you dreaming of? And uh, it's good to see that this, this was also a, a repeated pain point that you saw uh, also as an endeavor mentor and as an angel investor and that you wanted to solve that for, for founders. Um, but would you like to share some highlights about uh, kind of the, the future of Camino? Um, what, what, is, what is in the back of your mind for, for the future? <laughs> Awesome. Um, yeah, I think, you know, our, our longer term vision is being, uh, you know, a financial operations hub for any fast growing company across LATAM. And so, you know, Brazil, as, as well as uh, the rest of LATAM, uh, venture backed and non venture backed companies, uh, but that are growing quickly and, and, you know, typically are not very well understood by banks. They're not very well served by, you know, many kind of financial softwares and things like that. And so as we think about the stack that we're creating, you know, it's basically a software stack with banking. Uh, and finance products embedded and mm -hmm. helping companies with their operations, their growth and the optimization of, of the business. Um, and so, you know, we're really thinking a lot about how do we, kind of, you know, embed the financial rails and the financial products within a very native kind of financial management and, and operation software. And so building, you know, both at the same time, I think, you know, many companies uh, in, in fintechs and LATAM are, are building point solutions and then trying to expand from there. We're, you know, have a thesis that we can create kind of this hub plugging in different partners and different services and then creating some of our own as well and, and really being the one-stop shop and, and kind of, you know, the one uh, platform hopefully that startups are using to really run their business and the CFOs are, you know, consulting um, to make sure that the financial operations are running. Um, so we, long, long journey ahead, but, you know, we've, we've launched the, the bank account and credit card and FX services and corporate setup services and now building out some of the financial management capabilities. And so, um, we're, we're on our way <laughs> but right. a long way to go <laughs> but it's good also for for the founders who are listening to us it's really to have this kind of this vision reverse engineering exercise that i love to do it's kind of uh, what what will look like uh, ourselves in in the long term in the midterm and the short term and of course this is flexible because we learn along the way and we need to reiterate on what is the long-term vision, the midterm vision, especially the 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 midterm. Sometimes the long-term should be a little bit more uh, stable. Kind of what is that north star metric? I think it's also a very difficult exercise to understand what is that metric that will allow us to know if we are closer or or not closer. Uh, and it, it also allows ourselves to not be always in a in a survival mode. Uh, to be able to go through the temptations, the challenges, uh, and still be dreaming and, and feeling that we are progressing towards that long-term vision and uh, and that North Star uh, metric. It, it might might sound for the ones who are listening a little bit theoretical, but I'm but I'm kind of I'm finding uh, what a lot of second and third-time founders say uh, that culture is so important and having clarity of vision, clarity of mission, and again clear values. It really deserves uh, or worths the, the investment to to have it to have it right. Yeah, I think I think especially in a remote environment or a hybrid work exactly. environment, you know, nowadays it's even more important and much more challenging to to build the culture and to build the shared values and make sure that people are aligned with with where you're trying to go. So. I think you know it needs to be a huge focus, uh, even more so perhaps now than than in the past. And new way you have to discover new ways to connect with your team and to make sure that the team exactly. is, is you know aligned. Um, 
And, and I think, you know, to your point as well, what, what's interesting now versus perhaps last year when it was kind of like this very accelerated uh, environment is that, um, you know, now it's actually good for founders who want to have some time to really, you know, test things and learn and iterate and, mm-hmm. you know, really search for a, a viable product market fit with positive unit economics. I think, you know, last year it was often just, you could spend your way to lots of user right. growth. And then, you know, when, when the, the, the yeah, funding yeah. ran out and the dust settled, people realized like, oh, I actually don't really have a viable product because I'm paying users to use it. <laughs> um, and, and so, you know, it, it's, it's actually good. I, I actually prefer this kind of environment to the, the yeah. previous one in, in many ways. Um, but you have to make sure that you're learning. Uh, I think that's kind of the key is if you you know are spending money and not learning and not iterating, then uh, there's there's a problem. So I think that's what the smart investors are looking for first in the very early days. And then next is, you know, do you understand your unit economics? Do you have a plan to really you know scale uh, the business with good unit economics from the very beginning? Right. And this is a great point. Do you, do you learn fast? And uh, is the team able to go through adversity and and find out a way of getting on the other side of, of the problem still alive and uh, and motivated to to keep moving forward uh, is it, is it said then 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 <laughs> for sure and i think that it, you know it comes a lot back to the founder and how resilient is the founder and how much you know will the founder adapt and listen to to advisors and, and things like that and you know those tend to be the the really great founders um I had, I had a funny, you know, in terms of annual investing, one of the deals that I passed on back in the day was uh, Jim Pass. And so I knew Cesar from, from McKinsey and, uh, you know, he pitched me, but it was a, a B2C business at the time. And essentially, you know, if you're like a McKinsey consultant, you can use a gym in Brasilia or in Belo Horizonte, uh, you know, and I told him that it seemed, you know, probably too small of a niche uh, in terms of, of that business model. And maybe, you know, if you could iterate on the business model, it would be better. Uh, so I, I ended up passing, even though, I knew that he was a great, you know, potential founder, um, and and you know, obviously Jim Pass <laughs> has been extremely successful, and says that was incredible. He, he navigated through the pandemic when all the gyms closed, and he had to completely change his business. And you know, actually, he's a great example you know, in terms of this resilience and, and being able to to adjust on the fly and and really, you know, not not get uh, pulled down by macro events and things like that. And from uh, for me as an angel investor. <laughs> The lesson of you know if it's someone who you think is great invest in them and let them figure out the model um, rather than worrying about too much about the model in the early days if it's in a big market and a real problem uh, again the, the the thesis that maybe pitched this is completely different than than the current uh, thesis but uh, that's why the team is or the founders are so important at at that stage right uh, and, and this is a great example of a company that was able not only to be a regional leader, but uh, kind of going up, um, beyond the LATAM uh, region, which is something that we, I think that we are speaking also a lot now in, in LATAM is how are we able to build global companies uh, and global leaders in, in a certain category and not only uh, the LATAM uh, leader. Of course, there is a lot of merit there and there are a huge opportunities of models that sh- should be localized to, to LATAM. And within LATAM, there is so many different realities, again, as we like to say in Europe or even about the US that, that uh, as native, you know, uh, much better that there is not only uh, one country called US, there are several countries within <laughs> the, the same country, even the way of doing business in the East Coast or the West Coast uh, is, is completely um, different. 
Cool. And uh, any any other uh, tips that you'd like to share also from an angel investor perspective uh, and now more for the founders who are maybe thinking that this is the right timing for me to start uh, signing some checks. Uh, maybe I'm at late seed or uh, early series A. I still feel that I have some some money and uh, and I can uh, put some time and some help and open my network and open my experience. And maybe I can do this for a lot of companies, but I can choose one or two to really have a, a, an higher impact and then go into the stage where you are in is how do I scale this support that I give to founders? What kind of organizations I want to associate with? Um, but any any advice on where to start and uh, how, to, how to get going as, as a founder, uh, as an angel investor? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the first thing is really think about, you know, what are your objectives, right? And and so, you know, I think differently than a, a VC fund, which probably needs to have, you know, IRR or, you know, the, the return on the capital as, a, as kind of the North Star. Um, as an angel investor, you might have different objectives. And so, you know, one of the things I think a lot about is, you know, helping the underrepresented founders to help trying to right. help create impact and and find people who if I can help them a little bit then they can you know run on their on their own and so um, you know depending on that that's the starting point and then thinking about how do I get kind of positive selection uh, of those types of deals coming mm -hmm. to me and so whether it's you know participating in and you know different communities or endeavor or things like this to start to meet you know more founders uh, as a way to start to see you know kind of more more deals and and think about where you can really try to add value. And so, you know, in my case, uh, what I've realized is, is, you know, if I kind of already know the founder, I'm going to help them anyway. It's someone that, you know, I, I will support regardless. Then I like put in some money to have skin in the game and some alignment and, and you know, know that I'm helping them and, and, you know, have some money there. But if if it's not somebody who you kind of previously know or who you might help anyway, then I thought, it, you know, I can have more value if I actually understand the, the space. And so fintech, you know, right. angel investments for me tend to make more sense. I'm, sense. you know, yeah. in, an, in an energy tech, for example, but it, I really don't add any value on the business side, you know, so it's more, you know, helping the founder, but it's, it's the value add is less, you know, kind of automatic. And so I've tried to, you know, cut down a little bit in terms of more focus on fintech. Although right. with great founders, I've done, you know, a number of investments in, in health tech and ed tech, for example. Because I do think those are sectors that that you know have a lot of problems and need you know innovative solutions. Yeah, but but also I think it's important to 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 think that sometimes we feel that we we are not adding a lot of value uh, outside of our own area of expertise. Uh, but it sometimes can be really life changing to to the founder who is on the other side because again. Uh, we underestimate the amount of lessons that we learn uh, along the journey and something that seems super simple and super obvious to, to us. Again, it, it might change the, the, the trajectory of a, of a startup and of a founder uh, completely. Just adding this layer of the imposter syndrome that sometimes, oh, I don't feel that I'm adding any value here out, outside of my uh, comfort zone, right? <laughs> but but definitely, uh, I'm sure that it can be very transformative for, for the ones who, who have that support. And sometimes it's only being there and just just saying, yeah, this is normal. Uh, I've faced it myself and just keep going and I'm here for you. Just this kind of message and just 15 minutes to to say that and just to listen, it, it can make a huge difference for for a founder. Right? I, I think so, especially the empathy and, and you know, oftentimes if, if people have boards uh, where they, the board members are not ex 
operators or ex-founders, you know, so they're coming from like a very financial mentality. It can be very frustrating. So it is helpful for founders to have, you know, some type of, of, of valve, um, you know, to, and actually people are talking about it more, but, uh, you know, if you don't have a great support network uh, of, you know, other founders or, or, or within, you know, kind of your, your current community, you know, go out and find a coach, <laughs> find a psychologist, find somebody because, uh, it's a long journey and it's a hard journey and, and it is important to have you know these kind of valves uh, people that understand you and have empathy um you know i think these are that's that's really you know key uh, in order to grow and um you know and then there are other things which are not you know the core of your business but that you need to to build this type of model and so you know the, the kind of yeah. you know scaled venture financing for example um some of the my you know when we were saying you have also some of the best advice i was getting from fundraising was the founder of a an online baby clothes you know store baby.com and he was just a great, great fundraiser. And so, you know, you look at my deck and so I don't see anywhere where it says you're going to be the biggest financial services company in Latin America. I was like, that's crazy to say that. You need to be more aggressive. And so, you know, it's, uh, I think, you know, that's great. And, and you know, a lot of, uh, you know, founders helped me in the early days. And, and you know, it's, I think it's great to give back. And actually, you know, as a founder, when you are giving back, it, it's good for you often because you're helping other people to solve problems. You're stuck on your problem. So, I think it creates a great dynamic for, for both sides, actually, both, you know, people getting help as well as the people who are giving back. Also a common question, and, and we, we are seeing some players in the ecosystem, for instance, Latitude is trying to do that effort, Brian, trying to put together a, an angel list. Uh, so sometimes for, again, for first-time founders, understanding who, should, who they should reach out to. So because sometimes, of course, we know about the fundraising nowadays, that you need to look to the portfolio of the VC, uh, understand the investment thesis before even asking for a call or looking for a warm intro to, to that VC. And in a certain way, the same happens with Angel, but the, the question there is uh, the fragmentation is much bigger. So for a founder doing all that homework of understanding what are the angels that have experienced in that kind of vertical, uh, it, it might be a, a very, tough task to to go through and any advice there on how to identify the angels that might ever fit with with your thesis yeah i mean i i think the best thing for founders who are just starting out who don't have the whole network is you know try to get angels who have you know worked with you before so maybe your your former boss or um, you know people that really know you i think that's like the first step is to have people like that because it's a validation mm -hmm. That they believe in you people who know you better than maybe the vcs do and so you know that's kind of the starting point and then oftentimes uh, they'll, they'll be able to make introductions you know to to other uh, angels mm -hmm. and then also via the funds and sometimes even before a fund invests in you maybe you meet with them and they say you know we'd love to stay in touch we'd love to help you can say okay so <laughs> i want to reach this angel you know who you've invested in before right. and, and um you know to so ask and, and try to see which funds are going to act, going to actually help you um, I, I think in Brazil now you have you know many more kind of what I say are like professional pro founder angels. Uh, in the mm -hmm. old days, you know, ten years ago, uh, it was a lot of you know people that had a very exploitative mentality. I think not a founder right. first mentality, and they wanted to do twenty page you know investment documents <laughs> for for an angel investment. Um, and, and so we you know had in, in many cases a, a negative experience back in the day. And then once we started reaching great U.S. angel investors. We actually saw like what amazing angel investors are. You know, after a 15-minute coffee, we had, you know, investors wanting to put in money just because they kind of believed in us and knew our investors. And 
Um, you know, so we saw like a very different side to it. And I think nowadays it's becoming more common in, in LATAM, but, you know, definitely it should be someone you identify with, somebody that seems like they want to help you, that they have your, your best interests uh, at heart, because I don't think an angel should be worried about, you know, their returns uh, in these early days. I should be about trying to help you get to the next stage. Yeah. Uh, and it's good that you say that because uh, the founder is already with under uh, um, a lot of pressure. And uh, if he feels that he's also not able to be open with the angel investor, because of course he's investing uh, his or her own money, and uh, and a lot of times it's 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 not uh, it's it's a different kind of business and different kind of motivation of what you just said. Sometimes that that money is very hard to to earn. Uh, and, and the founder might be a little bit afraid. So, so babe, I'm not sure about, about what I'm doing. And then uh, he or she will not ask for help when, it, when it's needed because what might the angel think about, uh, about my own understanding of the problem that I'm solving? And uh, everyone has ups and downs. And sometimes we feel that uh, we have the solution and we know what we need to do in order to, to, to get closer to the vision. And, and sometimes we, we are lost and uh, we think, what the hell am I doing here? <laughs> And it's normal. Yeah, I, I think also it's impossible for the founder to be an expert at everything, right? So you're you're never going to be the best person about you know who knows everything about growth and everything about credit and everything about tech and everything else. And so also bringing in some angels that have you know very deep specific technical expertise uh, is extremely helpful to help you know to help you to help Good your point. team. Uh, you know, so we were fortunate you also to have you know, like one of the top growth guys in the entire world, one of the top. Uh, you know, security, you know, data security guys in the entire world. Um, and so that makes a huge difference because you just don't have time to, to really yeah. become an expert on all those topics. Kind of list the skills that you need and uh, what are kind of the your weak spots and that you need some some help there and, and then start looking for, for the ones who might fill in that those spots. Cool. Let's go into the last segment of the show where I ask you a quick question and you give me uh, a brief answer. Let's start with the self-reflective uh, questions. So if you'd have the opportunity uh, to meet yourself for a coffee or your younger self uh, for a coffee, um, you decide maybe at the beginning of Kiev also because Camino is, is still quite early on, on the journey. Uh, what advice would you offer to your younger self? I mean, one which I think worked out positively is, you know, choose your, your co-founders with a lot of care. <laughs> so in, in this case, it was a great 10-year you know, run with Chiago, but that's, I think, you know, kind of the biggest, you know, thing that people might underestimate. Um, and then I think the other is, is you know, from the early days, really think about, you know, financial viability and having that path. Um, you know, I, I think oftentimes if you're growing very quickly in terms of users, you're able to put off the monetization and, you know, I'd say, try to do it all at the same time even though it's a challenge uh and so mm -hmm. you know, now we're changing with camino like thinking a lot from the early days about you know a viable financial model to go along with the, the user growth um right. you know so those are kind of two two learnings i would give for, for early stage founders love it and what are you the most proud of on your journey so far yeah i think it's hard as you're going oftentimes to kind of you know reflect and value value what you're you've done now you know that i've we sold Gia Bolso and I'm, I'm doing something new. I think what I'm most proud of is we essentially created open banking in, in Brazil and that's having a massive impact across all fintechs and, and, and the entire amazing. ecosystem for you know, 20, 200 million Brazilians. So that's been amazing to, to see and to, you know, that will continue to evolve. 
Love it. Worst advice ever received? Uh, that's, that's a good one. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think like the, the worst kind of advice just in general is the non-constructive advice. And so it's like, you know, why aren't you growing faster or, or you should be growing faster uh, just right. generically, you know, and, and, and so that's that's usually the worst. I think the other kind of worst thing that you can have in the early days as an investor is like, well, you know, why is, is your accounts receivable going down? Why is your accounts, you know, so they're looking like at your balance sheet before you even have product market fit. I right. think that's, you know, a terrible distraction uh, as well. Good point. And now the, the resources, it can be business or non-business. This part of the, of the show is much to get to know our guests a little bit better on the personal side. So favorite book. Yeah, I mean, I think within the startup world, uh, Hard Things About Hard Things uh, by Ben Horowitz is, is kind of the Bible of, uh, of what you're going to go through on that journey. Right. Good one. Favorite movie or series? I'm not very good at series, but one, one which is not maybe not my favorite ever, but I've, I've enjoyed recently is uh, Fauda, actually, which is uh, set in Israel. And, and uh, you see a lot of uh, Israeli and Palestinian, uh, Palestinian relations okay. and everything. So it's not... Right business related per se but it's a very intense exactly. <laughs> series it's definitely we can learn a lot from uh, those kind of um, movies documentaries and and so on to also learn about ourselves and psychology that is so important for for founders right and final finally the your favorite podcast excluding this one <laughs> <laughs> important uh, disclaimer exactly. uh, actually actually in terms of podcasts, there's, there's a number, um, but but so often my I, I would if I can uh, I, my my favorite sometimes in terms of like really pinpoint insights actually are uh, Frank Rotman from QED his uh, Twitter storms tweet storms um, where right. he like takes a topic and he really breaks down um, or you know so, some of his his writings I find him to be one of kind of the, the sharpest minds out there in, in fintech and so. I, always look for, for whatever Frank is, is working on. Now he's gone deep into crypto, so it's a little bit uh, more tangential for me, but uh, he's, he's a great, uh, you know, great fintech mind. Super original uh, resources. Uh, We've never heard uh, that one, so great addition to, to the list. Uh, ben, any, anything else or anything that I should have asked or any final message that you'd like to share with the community before we go? Um, no, I think we, you know, we covered everything and, and you know, it's effort for founders who are aspiring to start out, you know, build your network and, and ask for help and, and just be really persistent and, and you know, resilient. Uh, that's, those are the key, I think, ingredients. <laughs> um, you know, so wishing, wishing well, uh, you and your journey. I know that you're also starting a, a new company here and um, congrats on the podcast and thank you for the invitation. Thank you, Ben. It was really a pleasure to have you on the show and you are always inviting to come back and uh, also all the best with, with Camino and, and, and the work that you do for, for the ecosystem. We are super grateful uh, for that. And to the community, thanks for being there. Uh, as you see, we keep bringing you the best of the best to make your life a little bit easier as you build and scale your company. See you soon and keep scaling.